0: good evening and welcome in to dog central on a wednesday night my name is graham coffee and uh we are here on the bye week you might notice i am in a little bit different uh setting than usual uh i've been traveling i am back home in north carolina spending some time with family right now so uh you guys all get to enjoy the bottom third of this wonderful painting behind me um yeah, Georgia took care of Vanderbilt last week. Uh, I think took care is proper terminology. This was a classic Kirby Smart uh, long con style special. A lot of what we have uh, gotten used to seeing over the last couple of years, right? Which is like there was a time, particularly in 2021 and prior where Georgia, it seemed like, was very invested in winning these games by as, you know, not as much as they could. Kirby was never running up the score on anybody, but Georgia really wanted to beat the crap out of teams like Vanderbilt. Um, And I'm not saying that they don't want to do that now, but what you've seen over the last year and a half, the last season and a half, is that Georgia almost uses these games like practice. Um, This was like straight out of the uh, 2022 Kent state kind of playbook where Georgia used this game to practice some things that it felt like it needed to work on. And was as vanilla as possible? Uh, Kind of a lot like the 2022 Kentucky game that was 16 to six where, you know, Georgia just, like they controlled the game, they controlled the ball, but they'd fiddle around in the red zone and they were as vanilla as possible. And they, you know, basically just didn't burn any like touchdown plays onto tape. And this was kind of like that. Uh, once Georgia got control of the game, particularly at halftime, it seemed like they were pretty set on possessing the football and, not pushing things downfield Vanderbilt played like a very soft style zone and Georgia seemed pretty content to like throw screens for six or seven yards and run inside slam and that was about it really um for for the third and fourth quarter if you were stressed out by this game I would tell you that uh you know, you're, you're talking about a team that's, that's on a literally a historic run. Like this is, uh, and I I mean, I I probably shouldn't say this considering like what I do uh, from a content standpoint, but this game is meaningless. Like it really was meaningless in the sense of it doesn't really tell us anything about what Georgia is or isn't. Uh, it, It was just another one of these kind of games where, you saw Georgia like do what it had to do. And especially after Brock and trust went down, it was like, let's shorten this thing and and get out of here quickly and early. Um, I, you know, Georgia 2.1 more yards per play than Kentucky Uh, 2.0 is kind of the benchmark of an elite team from a net yards per play standpoint. So, they, they surpassed that. They ran 34 more plays. Um, they outgained Vandy by 323 yards. They never punted. They possessed the ball for 15 minutes longer than the Commodores, and they had eight scoring opportunities in this game despite a third quarter that only featured one drive for each offense, so they dominated it in every single way possible, but I get that It doesn't feel like that because you're not looking at a 50-burger. I would remind you that you did see the 50-burger against Kentucky, which is a much better team and a much better defense than Vanderbilt. And you saw not a different offense, but a much more open offense against the Wildcats as well. So don't stress. um, Good news from this game is that Georgia had by far its best uh, inside rushing game of the season kind of alluded to that earlier, but um, prior to the Vanderbilt game, Jordan had run inside zone read 77 times this year. They had a 54.5% success rate and we're averaging five yards of carry on those plays. That's, that's respectable. Um, Against Auburn and South Carolina, they only had 4.2 yards of carry on 27 attempts with inside zone read. That's, that's not really getting it done for a concept that uh, is your most run concept in the offense. Like that's not an effective or efficient way to go about a football game and especially not effective way to keep yourself into um, manageable second and third down situations. So against Vandy, they ran inside zone read, excuse me, 16 times for 206 yards. Um, You know, yes, they hit a couple of long runs, but, the down down efficiency was also very good. They had a almost a 69% success rate. So that was very nice on the inside zone read concepts and breaking that down even further. They had 12 attempts on inside slam that averaged 16.4 yards of carry. And eight of those 12 attempts were successful plays. And if you're new here, cause everyone, you know, sometimes this is your first show, uh, success rate just is basically a measurement of staying on schedule. So it's getting more than half the yards needed for a first down on first or second down. So, you know, on a second and 10, a three yard play would not be successful, but on second and four, a three yard play would be successful. And uh, it's achieving a first down on third down or fourth down. Those are what are quote unquote successful plays. Um, so yeah, I mean Georgia—they—they they did what they needed to do up front. Um, the big story of this game, obviously, is the injury to Brock Bowers. I am going to kind of—we'll take care of that in a very in-depth way uh, when we go through the questions that we have loaded up here from subscribers. So we'll get there. Um, before we get there, as you know, probably by the T-shirt or the sweatshirt that I'm wearing this show is sponsored by Homefield apparel and Homefield apparel is awesome. Uh, they're, uh, they've been incredible to us. It's, it's incredible to work with them. Uh, I consider the relationship we have with them, not like a, you know, an advertiser working with a, a show or a, a website, but I consider them a partner in what we're doing. And, uh, they're supporting us as an independent media outlet. And I think they support the way that we do media in sort of a little bit more of a, I don't want to say like new age, but, um, we are new media. We are maybe not your, you know, maybe not your granddad's way of consuming uh, college football content. And, uh, that's, that's not a knock to anybody that does media that way. It's just not exactly how we're doing things. So, um, we are excited to share that we're going to be doing a uh, event with home field in Athens. The Friday night was before the Missouri game. Uh, we're calling it home field homecoming, or that's what they're calling it. They will be doing a a happy hour. That is uh, from five to 10 PM at the foundry hotel. Uh, the foundry is run by the graduate. They do a f- phenomenal job downtown Athens, uh, 295 East already street. And they will have uh, free drinks there for you. You, If you have a student ID, you can get half off your home field purchases. You can see all the UGA home field gear up close and in person. And uh, there will be some new releases that are going to knock your socks off. Um, some, some things that some of you have been asking for for a long time will be launched on that day. And if you're there, you will be able to buy it and not have to wait for it to ship so good opportunity to get your hands on some stuff early and uh the most exciting part for me personally of that is that uh we're gonna be doing a live podcast recording kind of a live panel basically during the event uh that's gonna be from 7 to 8 p.m and it's going to feature, it's going to be uh, moderated by Alex Kirshner from split zone duo, which is a phenomenal uh, college football podcast. They, they cover the sport on a more national scope. Um, he's with uh, Stephen Godfrey and Richard Johnson. And uh, truthfully like that, it's, it's one of the, the few pieces of college football media that I consider to be like an essential part of my, my week. Um, they're, they're excellent and I'm a fan of their work. So it'll be exciting to get on stage with Alex. Uh, And we're going to be joined by uh, George Foster from 100 Sanford. uh, Jim Wood from I Got a Podcast and uh, our friend, John Smith, who uh, is kind of one of our partners at Dog Central. So a a really great kind of group of contributors of, of Georgia viewpoints uh george played the game the the rest of us have commentated on it or podcasted about it for a while and uh we'll have a meet and greet as well with with other dog central personalities and some some special guests that are a lot more special than i am have been rumored to be showing up so check it out you can sign up for it now at uh the the foundry's website just uh type in the graduate athens into your uh into your google search bar there and go to the events tab uh rsvp because there's only about 250 seats available for the panel part of it and those are those are going quick um which is super exciting to see because the event is still you know a couple weeks out um so we hope you'll join us would love to meet you in person uh i'll be there the entire time hanging out before and after we'll take questions from the crowd, uh, during the, the live panel part. And it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's get into the whole thing here. Um, I got a lot of really good questions. Shout out to the dog central subscriber base for not just asking questions, which in and of itself is awesome, but asking a lot of, uh, really smart questions. Let's kind of get into the Brock Bowers segment of questions. First and foremost, do you expect an increase in 11 personnel? uh, And he says four wide receivers, one running back without Brock in passing downs. Um, So basically, uh, so 11 personnel means one running back, one tight end. uh, If you're keeping score at home, if I'm not mistaken, if you would have one running back, and one tight end then you could only have three wide receivers uh on the field but i think you're probably saying like you're probably thinking of delp as maybe a wide receiver on this one but i'm just clarifying for those that are uh listening or watching this so what four would you expect basically to see on the field And I'm assuming you're, you're, you know, if we're talking 11 personnel, then we're going to say one of those is a tight end. I guess we're assuming that's Delp. Although I wouldn't automatically assume that, um, since you're saying passing downs third down like in Jacksonville. Yeah. I think that's a safe assumption, but, um, I think and lucky's got a very good chance to emerge in a, a pretty significant way over the coming month. Um, so you're quite. You think you know? Ladd and love it in the slot with Rosemi Rrahra out wide. I don't think that. Um, I think. Well, I'm not saying you think that, but you're. You're. That's your question. Um, Ladd is an outside receiver, and people, I feel like, don't really realize that a lot of time, um, or you know, they they look at his size and they think that. He's kind of something else. But the reality is that McConkie has played outside for basically his, his entire Georgia career. And that's why Tremaine Burton is in Tuscaloosa right now, truthfully, is because Ladd came and started taking all the snaps at Z. Um, Ladd has taken 74% of his snaps out wide this year. And last year he took. Let's see, uh, 75%. So he's staying pretty consistent. Um, I think on third down, that's where you want him. I I think you, you know, I I think you want him out wide. Like he's really good at creating space and he's particularly good at creating space on the boundaries. So let him do what he's best at. That's, I think, how he's most effective. Um, I would, I would put Ra Ra out wide and uh, I would let Love it work in the slot, and then I think you, you'd have Delp in the slot, basically, or Delp as an inline, and, uh, and then, obviously, a running back. And if I was talking running back on third down, um, you could put Dylan Bell back there, but we've seen Dejan Edwards catching more passes out of the backfield lately. So I think that's the lineup that I would want to run with. And, yeah, thank you for the question, T-Mac. And then what I loved about this question was that Geo – uh you came and kind of followed up with it. Or I'm sorry, you, you sort of followed up behind it. Uh follow up from above. More 21 personnel with Dylan Bell and running back in the backfield. How we were lining up with Brock. Also, lad goes to slot moving forward and Dom to Z. Question mark. Um, so no, I don't I think uh to answer the, the back end first. I lad, I think will stay at Z. Dom has been playing in the slot mostly this year. Um, let me pull his numbers up real quick here. So yeah, so far this season, 84.2% of Dominic Lovett's receiving snaps, his routes run have, have come out of the slot. Um, he's got 156 routes run this year and 139 of those have come out of the slot. So, We've really only seen him out wide a few times. Um, We did see that more this past week to, you know, kind of credit you for, for maybe having an an eye ahead of things. Uh, He had eight of his 32 snaps out wide against Vanderbilt. And that was closer to 25% or really right at 25%. So I, I think you know there will be an interplay between those two, right? And I think that's part of that's a big part of how you replace—not replace—you can't really replace Brock Bowers, but how you don't miss a beat without him out there is you let McConkey and Love it kind of overload that uh, that right side of the formation together and let them take turns occupying the the high safety on that side for each other like put Lovett in the slot let him run a a a deep seam route or a deep post and pull that safety downfield and then you get lad one-on-one with the boundary corner or you know let let lad go run a deep post and suck that safety towards the middle of the field and uh you know do do like a scissors concept and and let love it go on a, a deep corner route or let it you know, work some sort of in-breaking type of, of deal. I, I think there's obviously a ton of different route combinations they can run with those guys, but that is the kind of X factor, I think, for, for Georgia. You know, if you're pointing to, oh, God, like Brock is gone. Yes, Brock is gone, but I think when you get to this Florida game, you're going to see McConkie playing – you know, kind of starter level snaps for the first time all year. And what that opens up for everybody else could be significant. And if, if defenses don't respect lad, you know uh, in the sense of they, they leave him in single coverage against a boundary corner, then you can make that work for you as well. Uh, you can, you can move that slot over to the left side of the formation, leave McConkey out wide at Z Especially when you're on the left hash and uh, you know go heavy personnel run play action let let Lad go double move on some guys like he did in the Tennessee game last year like that kid will get open if you if you put him one on one in any level of space without help even will get open if you have safety help so um, I think that's that's a big part of the formula for Georgia moving forward is, is both McConkie and love it. As far as the 21 personnel, um, I think there's gotta be a lot of stuff in the playbook that we haven't seen from those two running back sets. Like I'd love to see Dylan bell and Edwards, you know, in a two back set with, uh, both of them running running some sort of wheel type concept out wide because like that pulls that pulls people out of the middle of the field and then you know then you have your lads running slants or or you have other possibilities. I would love to see like at some point there's got to be in this playbook play action to Bell on you know what looks like kind of an inside zone type situation and he just keeps running up that hole on a seam you know like just let him run through the A gap or the B gap, like he would have if he had taken the ball. But he just keeps going, and you hit him for you know a shot up the seam. Like I, I think that there's a ton of interesting things. I I, mean, I know there's interesting things that are in this playbook from the two back standpoint, and I'm excited to see it. And I think at some point soon we will. And I think that might be. You know, I, I what I loved about Mike Bobo's game plan against Kentucky was there was a recognition there that like we don't want to get into a football game where um Kentucky is comfortable, like going on fourteen play drives and sucking out the clock and shortening the number of possessions in this game. Like we want to get into a football game where we force Evan Leary to throw and. They came out and they they did that early, right? Like they they got up fourteen nothing and then twenty one nothing, and Kentucky was basically toast at that point. I think with Bowers gone, uh, you know that was kind of your your safety valve, right? Like that was what you did in the case of an emergency was you broke the glass and Brock Bowers was behind the glass, and you know you chucked it to him down the middle of the field and. Jordan Hare stadium and he made one hand stabs on balls behind him for 25 yard gains, or he went and high pointed something down the boundary on a kind of, you know, delayed sort of route. Like, I I think there's a lot of importance now on Georgia sort of solving this slow start situation. And I think they've, you know, nothing's ever solved, right? Like, every week is a new game and a new opponent that can create new issues, but I feel pretty good about their ability to get rolling. Um, I, I think that, you know, that Kentucky game was sort of the first time all year we've seen Georgia come out in a game that it really wanted to make a, you know, strong impression early in. And we saw them make that impression. So, that's my two cents. Hopefully, I opened your question. I'm sorry. Hopefully, I answered your question. Um, can you go through the options we have at D line and edge? What each player has as a skill set and ceiling, and who you think might be likely to emerge over the bye week? Yes, I can. Um, let's pull up the group here so i mean the thing that's interesting about the edge first off is and i'm gonna keep this to guys who have actually played a snap so far this year i hope that's all right with you guys i don't think that's crazy um so you don't have Tyron ingram dawkins who look is he a traditional edge you know i think that's that's first thing we got to define here well you said dl and edge okay so um that's a lot of guys, so I'm not going to read the entire depth chart. Uh, I think let's, let's kind of break this into categories, right? You've got uh, high floor veterans, right? You've got Zion Logue, Nazir Stackhouse. Those have been your starters at defensive tackle. We're going to start a defensive tackle with this. Um, Logue has a lot of length, and he's smart, and he plays his keys well. He's rarely, if ever out of position, um, the, you know, he has four pressures this year, which is more than like Stackhouse has. Um, you know, he's, he's done a decent job. I think he's given you about what you would expect out of him. Like he put on some weight this off season. So I think he's been better against the run maybe than he has been in the past. Um, He's a good player. He's not a great player. I think there's a chance he plays in the NFL, but he's right now in terms of the skill set and ceiling, you know, the the skill set seems to be he's not gonna give up space, but he's not gonna take it from other people. And the ceiling seems to be, you know, not terribly low. Like there was a play against UAB where he literally walked the center back into the quarterback's lap. And then there's been a lot of plays against SEC off- offensive lines where quite frankly, he's gotten stood up um, stack house. Like, I don't know what's going on with his I I've all, I've almost started to wonder if he's hurt or if, you know, he put on some weight this summer that was bad weight for him. I'm not, I'm not sure, but something has changed about his game from 2022 to now. Uh, it's not just that Jalen Carter's gone and Jalen Carter was occupying double teams. Like even when Jalen Carter was out, Stackhouse was very, very good for Georgia last year. And he has struggled so far this season. He has one pressure in a hundred pass rush attempts. Like he is a good run defender for sure. Uh, He has five stop plays this season, which uh, basically just denotes an unsuccessful play for the offense. But you know, I, I mean, coming into the season, people were like, this guy is a, you know, third to fourth round draft pick probably. And maybe if he has a phenomenal year and like really flourishes, he has the stuff to be a day one pick. He has not been that guy this year. Like I, you know, I don't know if that changes after the bye week obviously Georgia will hope it does. I mean, I, I hope Nothing but success for all these kids, right? Like, I want to see them get paid. I want to see them do all the things that they want to do in life. But his skill set right now, uh, he's definitely always been more of a run defender for sure. But last year, we started to see the pass kind of, you know, we, we started to see him look more and more disruptive at times in pass rush. Um, and that was, you know at the end of the year like lsu game in particular i thought he played really really well he was starting to look like a guy that was a legitimate like three down type lineman which those are hard to come by um you know you're you're talking about a guy that's really good against the run on first and second and really good rushing the passer on third down so Those have been the two starters. Uh, The guys coming in behind them, Warren Brinson. Warren Brinson has been the best interior lineman from Georgia so far this year from kind of any measure, in my opinion. Uh, Brinson's got 10 pressures on 119 pass rush snaps. He does lead all Georgia linemen with 119 pass rush snaps. Um, He's... He's okay against the run, he's good against the run. He's got like Warren's issue. I think why you don't see Warren maybe starting like some people think he should be, uh, has been that historically speaking, his run defense is not as consistent as others. Um, he's such an athletic lineman that he has the ability to jump like shoot gaps at the snap. And that's a great thing on third down when it's time to go get the quarterback. Sometimes it's a bad thing on first and second down because you shoot a gap and the running back goes and runs, you know, the handoff comes as you're flying past, and the running back goes where you were, and all of a sudden you've you've busted a contain up front. So um that's you know, that's Warren like. He's not a starter, so to speak, but you look at the snap counts and he has played, yeah, he's played more snaps so far this year than I think any, yeah, than any Georgia D lineman. So that tells you what they think about him. Like he's a leader for sure. Uh, Kristen Miller, you saw him on Saturday I don't know what his ceiling is yet, but I think it's, it's very, I think it's higher. Um, you know, I think Brinson's athletic ceiling is very high as well. I think Kristen Miller is a little bit of like a top, I would kind of say he's a Devonte Wyatt type comp, right? Like he's three Oh five, he's six, four, maybe six, three and a half, a little more lower center of gravity, very athletic for his size. Um, my eye on him has just been that when he comes into the game, he starts moving folks in a way that that is noticeable compared to the, the players that he's replacing. Like he came into the game on the second series against Vandy and all of a sudden, you know, he he came in as well as other guys, but like they subbed out Stackhouse and Logue and Chambliss and I believe Walther as well. And you saw things get better. The last interior lineman that I think is worth talking about at this point in like terms of there's an actual chance he'll play is Jordan Hall. Um, highest ceiling of any of these guys we've talked about yet. Like former five-star, he fits the bill. Uh, five pressures so far this year on 61 pass rush snaps just so you know, Miller has three on 67, um, you know, Miller for the record, uh, he's incredibly productive against the run eight stop plays this year, which is high. Yeah. Tied for fifth most on Georgia's defense. And there's, there's not another, you know, there's not another lineman really in that conversation. He's got the most of any defensive lineman, interior or exterior. So you're, you're talking about a, a really good run defender who I think is starting to show promise as a pass rusher. But um, Jordan Hall, I think if you're comparing the two young linemen, probably a little bit better pass rusher. Uh, like I said, five pressures so far this year. Not quite as good against the run yet. Um, That's why you're seeing him in more third down packages. I think what the reality is of the decisions that Georgia has to make from a personnel standpoint is Hall, Miller, Brinson, all are more explosive. All, I think, have a better chance of being disruptive. Um, They all also have a better chance of, being in the wrong spot on a run play and making a mistake that will cause someone to gash Georgia in the run. So that's sort of the the conundrum. And I think that's why you see so much. I mean, Georgia's always rotated guys on the defensive line, but like you're, you're seeing it more than ever really between these guys right now, they're not rotating as many guys as they did in years past, but they're rotating them a lot. And it's just because they, they got to, um, just cause the skill sets, there's not anybody on this defensive line right now, save for maybe Warren Brinson that you trust to get to the quarterback on third down and stuff the run, you know, really, really consistently on first and second down. That's what you're dealing with. And then at the edge positions, um, there's a ton of young talent there, okay? So that's Gabe Harris, Samuel Pimba, Darius Smith. Those are all, you know, uh, Gabe has kind of moved to defensive end, but like those are all your sort of young, freaky, long, talented edge rushers that have been in the program for, you know, second. This is their second season at most, and. They're, they're raw and they probably don't set the edge very well for the most part. Um, None of them can really be trusted yet from a run defense standpoint. So they can be used as pass rushers. And we've, we've seen Darris in particular come in and rush the passer. We've seen Wilson do it too. He's got 24 pass rush snaps this year and four pressures, that's more like garbage time and bad opponents, but that's a, that's a good hit rate. That is indicative of something. I would say, I would say like after the bye that is a guy that I would like to see more. Um, And then you got Marvin Jones Jr. Who is kind of at the top of that heap, right? Like he's the guy that they, I think expected to emerge in a way that he hasn't yet. And you know, only 31 pass rush snaps for Marvin this year, which I think is not that many. And it's kind of telling that, that we haven't seen him more. Um, If Marvin could set the edge with consistency, then I don't think you'd see Chaz Chambliss starting anymore, but he just hasn't shown he can do that. He's gotten better for sure. But, He's not quite there. Um, you got Chambliss. Like, Marvin's ceiling is... I mean, all these guys. Like, Wilson, Jones Jr., Gabe Harris, Mpemba. Four former five-star edges that are all, you know, in their first or second year in the program. One of those has to hit. I think right now, today if there was a rash of injuries and you had to throw one of them out there besides Marvin Jones Jr., who is kind of second on the depth chart right now, maybe first by the time we come out of the bye week, like I think that Gabe Harris is the one that you trust the most today to play the run. And because he can play the run, then then he gets to play the pass. That's kind of how it works at Georgia. Um, As far as... The sort of stealing of all those guys, like, you know, if any of them can be first-round picks, like, legitimately. Um, Next, what you have is the, what I would call the X factor in this whole situation, and that is Jalen Walker. Um, That guy could be Dallas Turner. He could or you know he, he could be um harold perkins jr like 2022 harold perkins jr not 2023 harold perkins jr he could be harold perkins jr with actual coverage skills that dude's a freak in the kentucky game there was a series in the fourth quarter or late third quarter where it's like he lines up an inside linebacker for two plays blows up a run blows up a screen pass and then he goes lines up on the edge at third down and hits the quarterback while he's throwing the ball and forces an incompletion. He can do that. Like he, he will play in the NFL and he is. What's interesting is that going to his 2022 tape, like I think he is a very, very good center of the edge. And you are not getting good edge setting out of Chambliss and Marvin Jones Jr. Um I, I think that with Jalen Walker, you've got eight pressures on only 32 pass rush snaps this year. So that's basically a, like a 25% hit rate on, on him getting to the quarterback in pass rush situations. He's a very sound tackler, which I cannot say for Marvin Jones Jr. at the moment. Um, MJJ has got three missed tackles this year and he's only got he's got three missed tackles and two tackles so that's a bad sign and like Kirby smarts not putting you out there if he doesn't trust you to tackle if I am Georgia I think the the hang-up for Georgia is they think that Jalen Walker is a probably a future all-pro NFL inside linebacker and that he could be you know an all sec or all american inside linebacker for them and a lot of what Georgia's defense does rotates around that inside linebacker position so i don't think they want to lose him to the edge especially when it's like hey we got a five star that's six six in marvin jones jr we've got three five stars behind him that you know all should develop and they all are freaky long and athletic and Damon Wilson has an absurd bend like Wilson should be your pass rush specialist. And I think that there's a chance he becomes that down the stretch. Um, Harris and Pimba both very physical, like more likely to, I think play first and second down early in their careers than Damon Wilson is not to say Wilson can't be a three down edge he certainly can be and probably will be very soon um but Jalen Walker i think is all those things right now like i i would consider rolling with him at edge or at least you know having him in the rotation of guys that you you bring in the game to play three downs i think Chambliss is a really hard worker he does everything that he's asked to do, but he's just not comfortable doing a lot of the things that that is need to do on first and second down. He's not comfortable in coverage. He cannot play with his back to the quarterback. Uh, he really can't play zone coverage very well either. Like he, Liam Cohen from Kentucky, the offensive coordinator who I have a ton of respect for came up under uh, Sean McVay with the LA Rams. Like he hunted, Chambliss over and over and over in the first half of that game. So those, those are the guys you're talking about. Um, obviously like at what I would call, you know, kind of D end, um, you know, the edges are the Jack linebackers, the, the OLBs, the guys that are standing up, they're playing the old Nolan Smith, Aziz Ojalari position and the DNs are Michael Williams. You know, Michael's your DN. He's your starting DN. He should be your starting DN. He can do everything. He can play any spot up across the line of scrimmage, depending on down and distance and what package you, you know, if you want to be heavy or if you want to be in your quote unquote NASCAR packages where you're you're rushing the passer. Um, like that's the dude that you trust. And the other guy that's played a lot of defensive ends so far this year has been Tremell Walther, and uh, he's done a good job of it. Like, he's not setting the world on fire. He's got two pressures, but his run defense has been good, and his tackling has been sound. And that is more than, you know, you can say at times for a lot of these guys, really. Um, <clears throat> Chambliss... There's the the if you can keep him out of coverage, he's more than good enough to to do what he needs to do. I think the big thing with him at, at Jack is just uh, not sucking inside too early on certain downs. Like there's times where he goes inside too fast to try and play a run fake and he leaves the back door open for the quarterback to run out of. But I, honestly, like the last couple of games, he has been better. Um, so I, you know, I, I think what you have right now at Georgia is like, there's a reason that question was so hard and long to answer is you got a big mishmash of really talented guys and none of them have emerged and none of them are doing enough of the things that you need them to do across three downs to really like warrant a change. And so that's what you're seeing across the defensive line right now. The philosophy is like, we're going to go for less mistakes, but also less havoc than, you know, more opportunities possibly for havoc, but also more opportunities for missed assignments that lead to, Busted runs, or a guy coming uncovered off, you know, out of the backfield, or something like that. So, that is the answer for you. Um, okay. Uh, S- Scott asks, What film is there for us to watch that'll show what this offense will be moving forward? I think Kentucky is the most accurate representation we've seen of this offense so far, or you could go truthfully, if you guys want to know the God's honest truth and some of you won't like this, go watch the 2022 Georgia offense on its best days. Like, that's what this offense will be, you know, moving forward. Like Brock, if you go back to 2022, like Yes, he was part of the offense and he had some big games, but Georgia wasn't really force feeding him like they have been so far this year and I think the truth is that Delp is more than good enough to to get the ball. Um like he'll the Titans will still be involved in the offense. That takes us to your second question is Lawson Lucky a future dude? Yeah, he is. Um straight up there's people that watch practice every Day that, like, I talked to, and uh, their feeling is that Oscar Delp is a very good player, like a really good player. They love him. Um, they think he can do a lot of great things. But like, they feel like Lawson Lucky when he showed up was the best route running tight end in the room, and maybe the best blocker in the room already. And like, has just been. A stud, basically. Um, and he is a stud, and like he's he's a really good player. I think that he's gonna announce himself to a lot of people over the next four weeks. Uh my take on Delp is that Delp has become a much better blocker than I ever thought he could be. I'm not saying he's great, but he's more than serviceable. Um and I thought that the throw to him up the seam against Vanderbilt on Saturday was like very symbolic in a way. Uh, because it was late in the first half. That tempo drive that Georgia went on. They went, you know, I think 20 yarder up the seam to delve and then 30 yarder down the left sideline to love it to set up a touchdown with the whip route. Like I, I think that, you know, you're talking about a guy who can can do what you need him to do more than can do like he's a really really good tight end and i think he'll see the ball a lot and i think that uh you know with with Bowers gone it might open up some opportunities for him really like just with i think opponents will be paying less attention to George's tight end so it could be a good thing for him, but I do think the loss and lucky has got the highest ceiling of anybody in that room right now. Although I wouldn't sleep on the six foot seven pierce Sperlin and maybe him catching something in the red zone. Uh Defensive bus. Do we run less zone moving forward? Georgia doesn't really run, you know, a, a lot of their, I mean, they're, they're doing a lot of pattern matching, right? So like a lot of their defensive, sometimes they're running zone on one side and, you know, they're they're running you know kind of mixed concepts and, and all sorts of stuff i don't think they'll run i mean they don't really run that much zone as it is i mean like their safeties are in you know they've got two high safeties those guys are playing zone but georgia's corners they man up and they play that's kind of what i meant earlier in the open when i was talking about the vanderbilt game being a chance to practice things for them like That's a defense. They don't run that much. Um, You don't really see Georgia switch ever, honestly, uh, in situations like that. So, point being, I think that uh, I I think it's it's a non non factor. Honestly, I wouldn't really worry about it. All right. What players would you put as most likely to, quote-unquote, make the leap coming out of the buy? This is from our friend Dog Hog. Um, I would go first with... Let's see. Sorry. I'm going to go first with uh, Jordan Hall. I think you're going to see more of him. I think you're going to see him and Kristen Miller both play more and, you know, more significant snaps. Um, I would say Monroe Freeling. I mean, you know, we, we saw him come in on Saturday, but I think he's better than a lot of people realized. It's sort of been a well-kept secret. Um Lost and Lucky has got to be one of these, I think. I mean, it's just the talent that he has. It's hard to feel like he's not going to do something exciting with, with more reps. Um, the one that I'll say, you know, my number one guy is Jalen Walker. They got to let that dude go wreak havoc because that guy can wreak havoc. And then you also asked, um, and so, David, you asked uh, for some guys who emerge as well. I feel like we just kind of answered that question. Um, Hog also asked, can you rank the position group that has the most improvement to do in order to keep this team undefeated, whether it is injury or just, you know, needing to improve? Um, and then he said, defensive line, inside linebacker, edge, running back, offensive line. I think the offensive line has figured it out. Uh, even when Freeling came in on Saturday, they really didn't miss a beat. I was very impressed with that whole thing. Like, I think that Van Pran and Rattledge have gotten on the same page. I think Cedric has been playing really well all year. I think it took Tate a little while to figure it out, but he he did all of a sudden. And now uh, those two guys are kind of anchoring everything. I think Ernest Green, man, like we went from talking about him weekly and some, you know, sort of being like, oh, you know, like he had a good game, but here's a missed assignment. Like that dude is playing out of his mind right now at right tackle. Like he is, or I'm sorry, at left tackle. Like he is picking up all sorts of stuff. Like he's not getting overloaded. You know, like I've seen teams try to overload that side with, with blitzers and confuse him and he's picking up the right guys. Like I'm impressed with his play from a physical standpoint, but I'm really impressed with his like knowledge of protection schemes and being, being able to grab the right assignment as a, you know, basically a freshman that didn't play at all last year. Um, So I feel good about the offensive line. I think the inside linebackers look like Dumas Johnson was banged up and i don't think many people knew it um i thought he looked a lot better the last two weeks and i i i'm not concerned about the inside linebacker position at georgia there's so many good players there that that group is going to be fine i you know i question if monden doesn't need to you know maybe be spelled at times from from an inside linebacker standpoint like i think that his coverage has been lacking a little bit lately, but, uh, I, I'm not worried about that spot. I am going to say, uh, you know, running back is fine. Those those guys, I mean, that's going to be the healthiest running back room that we've seen all year when they go to Jacksonville. I expect them to have Roger Robinson Kendall Milton and Dejan Edwards all ready to carry the rock with significant amount. Um, It's either DL or edge. And I mean, we have just talked about those positions extensively, but uh, I think for me, I think edge is a bigger concern. Um, Like if you have a defensive lineman, uh, if you have an interior lineman, a D tackle that can create havoc and in particular, create push against, you know, the passing game, then that is a huge bonus. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to have, and it, it allows you to, you know, really, really flourish in a lot of ways. But, like, I I don't think you need that necessarily to, like, go win a championship. You just need to have sound play. You need to have guys that are not going to get pushed around, and Georgia does have that. I think you are going to have a hard time – winning big if you don't trust your edge guys to you know like right now I'm not sure you trust George's edges against the run or the pass, at least not on if you know if you're talking 10 downs, 10 running plays, I'm thinking one to two, you're you're gonna have some mistake at that position right now. So I got to figure it out. They got to figure out the edge. That's my that's my position of need. Um why do you think the defense is underperformed so far this year for a Kirby Smart defense, at least, with so many returning players? Uh, I think injury has been a big part of it. Um, I think losing Jalen Carter, like, this is, you know, the first time that we've seen Georgia without uh, a first-round D tackle in, a, like, four years, maybe five years. Um you know, I'm not saying Wyatt and Davis were playing that way back in 2019, but at times they were like, you know, I mean, they, they, they were there, you know, they had guys that were really good. And just, I think that, you know, that when you have a defensive line, that's dominant, it just makes everything easy on everybody else. Like your linebackers, don't get exposed in coverage because they don't have to cover for that long. Uh, there, there's just a thousand things that, like, you don't have to really get tested on if your defensive line erases shit before it ever happens, and that's what Georgia's defensive line did the last couple of years. So, I think that's the answer. Uh, I would say that, you know, um, dog stats. Josh Hancher, uh, was talking to, uh, John Powell from, I got a podcast and, uh, basically those guys were saying that, uh, there are some good kind of benchmarks, like Georgia statistically very similar to where they were this time last year as a team. Um, you know, there's in 2022, Georgia was a team that was, uh, 2.43 points per drive, Right now, there's eight teams that are plus 2.0 points per drive. Georgia is one of them. Uh, the last five national champions were plus 2.0 points per drive, so that's a it's a good sign. Um, net yard per play, the offense is basically right on schedule with last year, and the defense is actually surprisingly very close as well. So, I think the Auburn game left a bad taste in everybody's mouth, but like that Vandy game it's just, is that really a sample in the sense of, you know, I don't know, like, are they going to bust coverages in Jacksonville or in Knoxville? If the answer is yes, then like, yeah, they're going to have problems. Um, I just think that in some ways the puppet master is sort of pulling some strings a little bit. Like, I don't know that we've really seen the, the full version of this defense yes like quite yet. Um I think the I think the defense has to step up for sure. And I mean, you know, maybe maybe with Bowers going out, there will be a sense of urgency for those guys. But um, you know, the defense they struggled in that first half against Auburn with the quarterback run. And then they fixed it. And they played not great in the second half, but like they never gave up a touchdown drive in that game. That wasn't off a turnover. Like they're, they're good. It's a good defense, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. And I mean, there's some things that can really start clicking, but the the biggest thing that they need to do, and it's not even, I mean, it's a luck thing. And I would say the fact that 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 Georgia has not forced a lot of turnovers yet this year probably bodes well for their chances of forcing more turnovers down the stretch. Cause Turnovers are just kind of a luck stat. They're very subject to variance. Like there are quarterbacks who create more of them than others. But the truth of the matter is that Georgia in most of the games they've played this year, um, Auburn didn't really throw the football on them. One time they did really, uh, they got picked off and then Kentucky, like Georgia, Georgia, did not force turnovers in that game, which I you could say is a, a concern for sure. But um, they forced turnovers on Rattler late in that game when they needed to. Like, they held Rattler to 6 of 24, passing to end that game. I mean, that's pretty good. He's had a really good year. My point that I'm getting at is just that oh, Georgia hasn't played many teams that have actually tried to beat Georgia. You know, like UAB, they actually kind of played a balls-out style. And, um, you know, I think Georgia had a a turnover or two in that game. But, like, a lot of the teams that Georgia's playing out of conference, they're not trying to win. They're trying to not get embarrassed, you know. Like, there's kind of a a gentleman's agreement before the game of, like, hey, you know, you guys don't throw the ball 70 times today and, you know, make this a lot more – unnecessarily like longer than it needs to be. And I won't run the score up on you. You know, I'm not saying that's actual conversations that are happening, but like, there's a little bit of a understanding, I think going into some of these games of like, and and also these teams, they're not stupid. They don't want to put their best stuff on the tape against Georgia when it's not even going to work and be executed properly. Anyways, like, Save your save your best scheme for down the road against your conference opponents and games that are going to determine whether your staff gets their contracts renewed or not. You know that's that's how these G five opponents are thinking more often than not. So you'll you'll see a lot more um, teams that are you know like Tennessee is going to try to beat Georgia, Florida is going to try to beat Georgia, Missouri is going to try to beat Georgia, and in doing that. Like, yes, you know, you don't want to drop back against this Georgia defense over and over and over. Like, there's there's things that you can't do against UGA, but um, the ball is going to get put in danger more over the next five games than it has been in the first seven games. And I think Georgia will come down with some more turnovers. Um, and when you come down with more turnovers, then, like, those end drives, you know, they don't accumulate more... <laughs> more yardage uh, after the turnover They're, they go to the bench. And I think that that has a big impact on stats that people don't really talk about sometimes, especially on like yardage stats and some of that type of stuff. Um, will we see more back shoulder throws to Rara? Thomas? How do you expect Georgia to try to generate more of a pass rush over the second half of the season? I think we've talked a lot about the pass rush, uh, but we haven't really talked about the solution to the problem. Right now, Georgia is – in order to generate a pass rush, Georgia has to bring someone from the back seven. I – look, that's just – that's that's what it is until proven differently. Until proven otherwise, Georgia is a team that has to bring, you know, inside linebackers and uh, corners. Or You know, they, we haven't really seen much of anything in terms of safety blitzes. I don't think. Let's see. Starks has four pass rush snaps this year. So yeah, I think it's fair to say that we haven't seen a ton of safety blitzes. Um, Bullard has not rushed the passer yet. Put a pin in that one. Cause we know he's very good at doing it. Uh, there will come a time where you'll see some like exotic safety bullets, you know, up to a gap or something that that will probably be awesome, but um, they ain't burning those and, the games that they've played so far. I think the best way to generate more of a pass rush is to, uh, (laughs) to play better pass rushers. Like I would put Jordan hall out there. I think Brinson has shown he can generate a pass rush. Um, Michael Williams. You know, he's not played as much as he did last. I wondered if he's dealing with a little something. I know he's still working you know, he had that foot injury and I wonder how much that's really limited him over the first half of the season, but he looked more like Michael against Vanderbilt. So I think that's going to come and happen over the next month. Like we'll see him come off the edges. And then uh, look, I mean, I would put Damon Wilson in there or somebody like that. Like you got three, five star true freshmen. I think Wilson is the most natural bend and you know pass rush kind of guy of those you might want to just see what happens um i do think you'll see more back shoulder throws to rah-rah as the the season goes on like i said don't y'all don't get into this stupid i'm not saying that you question asker did this but don't get into this stupid bullshit over the vanderbilt game where you're like oh well bobo's doing this to the offense no that's not the offense okay like that's just you know that's just the most vanilla thing that they could call that day. And Vanderbilt was sitting in like a a giant shell zone defense where they were basically you know begging Georgia to throw it deep. Georgia ran all verts like five times in that game, and like like you can't throw all verts into that. Like they 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 ran it basically like when they had to run something you know, on long yardage, but like, it was like, okay, we're going to run all verts and Carson's just going to like throw a short seam, you know, like point being when Georgia plays a team that's actually trying to win the game instead of keep the game close and limit explosive plays, which is a very different thing than trying to win the game and get off the field. Then you'll see them actually try to stop the run. And then you'll see rah, rah, and Roseme and and those guys back in situations on the boundary where it's appropriate to throw 50-50 balls. So, yes, you will see that. With Arian Smith struggling, do you expect to see CJ Smith get more reps? If not CJ who can stretch the defense vert- vertically? Do you ex- Okay, well one one at a time. Um I don't know if it'll be CJ that gets more reps like I could see them doing love it, like run, love it. Deep. I mean, they're, they're not having trouble stretching defenses vertically guys. They're not like Carson Beck is like one of the five highest passing yardage players in the country right now. Um Arian not catching the ball well, but like Georgia is doing a great job of getting guys deep and occupying safeties so that other guys can, can be open deep i think that cj is a option maybe you know we haven't really seen exactly how fast he is um it seems like they're they're enjoying playing him they're like he's he's getting some decent run over some other guys who are more experienced so i think that that bodes well for him. Um, I mean yeah, he's got 47 receiving snaps this year but it I, to me I think like love it. You've seen a lot of the short stuff, you've seen a little bit of intermediate stuff. At some point in here the deep balls are going to get like layered onto that and you're going to start seeing love it on double moves and you know, some more creative route concepts and when that comes You'll know why. All right. Um, how many more players do you think Georgia gets in the 2024 class? I don't know, Cam, to be honest with you, man. Um, it's too far from signing day right now to say that it depends if guys, if there's other guys that decommit or flip or whatever. I, it also depends on, you know, who are we talking about? Is it, is it someone that they really want, or is it just a guy? Um, I would think that I would think there's at least a a, a few more up the sleeve. Um, you saw them; they get the the corner commit, Andre Evans today. Um, that was that was very solid. I think the question is sort of, you know, who else do they go for? Um after that I think you're gonna see a good amount of uh good amount of wide receivers that that they're they're pushing hard for and trying to get committed. So we'll find out. Given what Kentucky did to Florida, does Beck throw the ball at all in two weeks? Yeah, of course he does. I mean, Florida's run defense this year, has it been that bad? I mean, they didn't tackle for shit that day, but that's more of an issue of them being, like, soft. And, you know, I'm sure Georgia's going to try and run the ball. Don't get me wrong, but but, um, that day they did look soft, I will admit. But I mean their defense is thirty-eighth in points per game allowed. That's that's solid. Thirty-fifth in yards a game allowed. They are 89th in yards per play allowed. So they must be a yeah, they're they're really good on third down. And they're pretty good in the red zone. Um they are giving up four point seven yards a rush. That's not not great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think that's why you saw Georgia run all of that inside, inside slam, inside zone read type stuff against Vandy was to try and rep that before the second half. And I think that that particularly starts with Florida. But I think that uh, if Georgia get the run going early in that game, then the, the play action shots that it opens up for Becker going to be significant. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a cereal a soup? Is a Pop-Tart a ravioli? (laughs) Uh, Dog Hog, David, and Brandon. No, a hot dog is not a sandwich. Cereal might be a soup. I think cereal is a soup. It's just a a sweet soup. And no, Pop-Tart's not a ravioli. It's a pastry. But you know what if they made pop-tart flavored ravioli it could be delicious all right last question when you watch a game on tv or in the building what do you look for uh let me find the full question i'm sorry When you watch a game on TV or in the building, where are your eyes looking before the ball snaps and as the play unfolds? Feels like I've learned more from you in the site about noticing things like motions drawing defenders or definitely offensive line pulling or dropping back. Just curious how you watch football. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, it's – I would say like the film study stuff that I do, a lot of that stuff I, you know, I notice – most of that on rewatch when I'm watching the actual game depends on the play. My eyes are just kind of drawn to different things. Um, you know, I, I sort of like catch a pulling guard out of my periphery or something, but uh, my best advice for you, if you want to like really understand football is to don't watch the ball, which is kind of, it's definitely counterintuitive and it's, um, it's it's really not a great way to watch it. Watch the sport as like an entertainment product in the traditional sense, but it is very entertaining to watch the the one on one matchups, and then you start understanding like why games are won and lost, and you know how they're won and lost, and who does that. Uh, you know, I, I think like everybody, and I mean, bye week is a great time for this because if you're not watching like your team, I think it's a lot easier to, to participate in this exercise, but just, just pick like a, a series of a game or, you know, a couple series in a game and say like, I'm going to watch, you know, I'm going to watch the center on this play, or I'm going to watch the left tackle on this play or whatever, like, you know, pick, pick some, you know, or just watch the offensive line versus the defensive line. Like you can, you can do that. Um, it's really fun to watch a like a really good offensive line that's played together for a long time, and you you truthfully you see this less in college now. But like uh, twenty thirteen Missouri was like this, uh, twenty seventeen Georgia was like this, like a an offensive line that's really good at at running like some stretch zone type stuff. They're fun to watch because, like, the snap happens and they're all moving, and it's it's a dance, really, is what it is. Um, and you know, the, like Georgia's offensive line and gap scheme, like, I guess what was it? The Kentucky game it was beautiful to watch. Go back and watch. Uh, go watch Tate Ratledge for like some series of the Kentucky game and watch where where he ends up at the end of plays or how he pulls in certain plays like um you know I, I think games are for all the talk of quarterbacks and wide receivers and and all of that stuff that, that that makes the sport entertaining to most people like a lot of games are won and lost to the line of scrimmage and quarterbacks you know they can't do anything if their if their offensive line is being overwhelmed so um i think that you'll see like a good a good number of teams that you know if if they had uh like like washington or or oregon and all of that you know like you saw michael Pinnocks they won that game eventually despite the fact that their offensive line didn't really win so to speak against oregon's defensive line very much like that was an achievement um it was it was a really good game. Great job by them, but like that, that doesn't happen unless somebody has a fantastic performance. So I, I guess the point I'm driving at is um, matchups make games. You know, like the game is made out of eleven matchups, basically, or you know, ten matchups if you take the quarterback out of it. Um, there's five that are really easy to break down, which is you know, the five offensive linemen or maybe an inline tight end versus the guys across from them. And then you go out from there. And like, I, I have a saying that football is still played from the inside out. And that just means that like, if you have a fatal flaw that is close to the football as an offense or as a defense, then eventually that gets exposed. And, uh, you know, like the 2021 Georgia Clemson game when that center for Clemson was starting his first game, like remember remember sitting in that stadium and just like watching that dude get blown up over and over and over, you know, being like, you can't win a football game like that unless you have some crazy special teams or turnover luck. You really can't. So, um, those are the things that I'm like looking for more often than not. Um, I, this is going to sound negative maybe, or I, I hope it doesn't, but the truth of the matter is that like when I watch football, I'm really looking for, uh, I'm looking for like red lights more than I'm looking for green lights. Um, a lot, a lot, a lot of football games are lost more often than they are won, And so you know, early in a football game, I'm looking for the duck, so to speak, like who's the guy that can't hold his space. Um, or, you know, who's the guy that, that keeps getting blown off the ball on defense, or who's the guy that, that, you know, can't cover, like those are the things that I'm kind of watching for in real time or that I'm interested in. Uh, you know, team substitute and all of that. Like, they're good coaches will find a way around all that stuff. But, um, it's you know, it's very interesting, and I think that the way that I think about the sport is just like can can the offense, like you know, can can the offense for team X. Do what it wants to do against team Y, or does it have to? Is it forced to do, you know, try and do something that it's not comfortable doing? Like, if you can force a team into doing something it's not comfortable doing, then you're going to have success. Um, so I, I, dude, I, this is a long wormhole. I, I, I shouldn't follow it any further, but, um, I'd be a fun offseason show to, to do. I mean, like, I don't, you know, like I'm not an NFL scout or something like that. I mean, like I, I look at, I think I look at the game more like a, probably like an analyst does for like a program, you know, like somebody that that's paid to like break down teams or, you know, find find an edge. Like when I do my, my long form preview content, it's usually like, I want to find the guy that that's going to get, you know, that's going to get beat basically. Um, that's what I'm looking for. So that's all I got for today. Um, thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. And uh, please come and join us over at dogcentral.com. We have an incredible community there. We're doing a lot of cool things and, uh, and it's growing and it, and it's like, it's, it's a, it's a fun, fun place to be. There's a lot of really smart people with a lot of really interesting things to say. And uh, you don't have people talking about politics and you don't have people talking about a bunch of, you know, non-football related stuff. Uh, if you want a place to talk about football and discuss it with your friends and, and family or, you know, not family necessarily, but like if, if you want a place to have intelligent football conversations without a bunch of bullshit, without a bunch of people calling each other names or, you know, without a bunch of like wild takes that are never defended, then dog central is the place for you. Hope we see you there.